Well, welcome. Okay, hello. There you go. Hey, whether you're online or you're in person, I am grateful to have you with us. Hey, I just want to let you know, we have a dedicated crew of tech people that you don't want to see and they don't want to see you necessarily that do just a splendid job. I just want to let you know that, that allow us to be online and uh, give us visuals, uh, you know, if they're prepared correctly and all that kind of jazz. By the way, it's through verse 17, not 16, that uh, Jeff just read. You'll need your Bibles today as we walk through this passage from Matthew chapter 8. And again, I want to thank Jeff for uh, reading God's Word. There's something about hearing it that allows us to absorb it in a whole other way. And even the posture in which we listen to it helps us to engage in it, I think, better um, in, in this day. I, there's, there's just been a couple of things that have been pointed out to me this last week that just have been continual. And, and this is one of them, is that we need to be in the truth of God's Word. Because in this day, if you haven't noticed, we need to be people that are standing firm. And without the truth, you can't stand firm. It's just as simple as that. If you're not in the word, you're not, you're not able to stand as Paul uh, commends us. As, as Paul commends us. Well, I don't know if you know what today is. Uh, but today is one of those, as uh, uh, Brother Ray said, one of those super Sundays. But every, every Sunday is a super Sunday. Um, so I'll ask to just get it out of the way. Uh, are we sympathetic to Matthew Stafford today? Uh, that's, I thought it was a little bit, be a little bit hardy. Uh, are you Bengals? Okay, I guess we are. Wow. But today is one of those days. I remember standing, uh, standing on the sidelines uh, after we had gone through practice, and the coach would be drawing madly, like trying to get our attention. Uh, football was not my thing. Basketball was probably more my thing, but it still was not my thing, if you know what I'm saying. But madly, he'd be drawing these pictures and telling uh, the starters and five and six and seven, who were, or seven, six and seven who would be playing, this is where you need to move. This is how you need to do it. And whether it's whiteboards or play calling uh, that you, we see happening, being called in from the sidelines, there's something about a coach telling a player how to do it that they themselves potentially have never done it themselves doesn't mean they're a bad coach, don't get me wrong, but there's something lacking. But the crazy thing is that Jesus is one of the coaches that doesn't just call us to do, draw out the plays, but today what we have read and what we've been listening to, he not only teaches us, but he, he joins the game. He gives us a demonstration of how it's supposed to be lived out, and a demonstration that I think is to be lived out in pretty much uh, the way he did it and the way we're supposed to do it. In fact, I would say what we see in these pages in Mar Matthew chapter 8, uh, these uh, passages in Matthew chapter 8, is somewhat of beauty of the kingdom being uh, appearing. And we have to, I think, a little bit adjust our sights and our sounds and our souls to what beauty truly looks like in the kingdom over against what beauty looks like in the world. And what we're going to see is he, he really uh, puts 
his neighborhood on end, if you will. Much like we are called to put our neighborhood on end when we, when we live the kingdom in the way that he did and the way he does through us if we so desire, if we're willing to be one of those players that says, hey, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Verse, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, now, I want to remind you, he has been teaching, Matthew 5 through 7, he has been teaching on the, ser- uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He's been teaching about the kingdom. He has been saying, hey, if you're going to put it into play, this is how it's to be played if you're following me, if you're going to play on my, on my turf. He comes down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, first and foremost, we need to understand that the leper is synonymous with an outcast. Uh, So whatever you think of in terms of an outcast in our culture, in our society, a leper would be that. Leprosy, uh, as you may know, is uh, called now not leprosy. You can still find it that, but it's Hansen's disease. And uh, it it is curable. But at that time, it was a dreaded, dreaded disease in which those who had leprosy were told to live outside of the community that they were a part of, to separate themselves from family, from friends, from sources of income, all of these things, and were told you cannot be near. Let me even read to you how clearly uh, that not only the culture says this, but even Numbers 5, 1 through, uh, 1 through 4 says this. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge who has been com- become more ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. This command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. So the Israelites did as the Lord commanded, and Moses removed such people from the camp. So to fault the Israelites for saying, hey, live outside of the community, or even the Romans at that time, hey, you need to live outside the community, would be wrong to do. Uh, They were outcasts. They were set outside and there are tons of rules around whether or not you should come close to them or they, they should come close to you. In fact, this is where it becomes incredibly, incredibly interesting. The leper is incredibly bold. For a leper was told that he should not come into town, and if he's coming close to anyone, he should be crying out, unclean, or she, unclean, unclean and just keep yelling it so people can back away it's like oh don't want to get that disease almost like covid right almost not quite right they they step away but this leper this leper doesn't stay away in fact we almost get the idea that he doesn't even use the word unclean because how in the world literally does one get so close 
and then be able to kneel before the Messiah. He sneaks in and he kneels before the Lord. Jesus doesn't even address any of that. He, he, he reaches out and touches, and we'll get to other aspects of that passage, which is very powerful in a few moments, but he reaches out and touches him. The leper, in some way, shape, or form, knew and understood that Jesus, and only Jesus, could be the one that restores and redeems this skin disease, and not only probably the skin disease, but far, far more than that. But what we see is Jesus coming off the mountain. How many of you want Jesus come off the mountain to do something for you today? Boy, I, my, my hand's raised. Jesus in his kingdom goes around undoing the destruction of the devil. I mean, this is why Jesus came. He came to bring life and life to the full and life abundantly. His job, his task was to redeem what was lost, what was dead, what was cast out and he walks around and he does the undoing uh, the destruction of the devil and everything that has been done in fact that is what we're called to do that's what we're called to be as a people it's just incredible he walks around and says be clean you're healed now in case I know you picked up on it in the scripture passage and it's before you. I'm sure it's open. In case you wonder if Jesus sidelined what a leper with skin disease or those with skin diseases were to do, Jesus doesn't. He says, go to the priest and show him, right? But don't tell anybody. Now, as I understand it, they're in Capernaum and to go show themselves to the priest would have been a journey and a half for this leper who had been who had been an outcast all the way to Jerusalem, as I understand, to show themselves. That's an incredible ask of somebody who feels as already they're an outcast, yet they've been healed and transformed by Jesus by a touch. Scripture goes on, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. What I find incredible is this phrase from Jesus. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Jesus, the question's not even posed posed to Jesus at this point in this passage of scripture. Now, who is a satyrian? He's a Roman soldier who has command over a hundred people. He is the enemy. He is the enemy of Israel. He's the enemy, if you will, even of Jesus and the chosen. It is an incredible work. So we have Jesus moving to, the, to those who have disease, the outcasts. We have Jesus moving towards those who are enemies of the state, if you will, of Israel. And he's moving toward them. We just have to kind of go, Jesus, why are you doing this? I said, love your enemies. It's not an option. It's a kingdom command. This is what you're called to do. Do you think the centurion did any 
violent crimes against the state of Jesus' people? Israel itself? Absolutely. I mean, that was what they were called to do. They were called to not only, uh, you know, break things up and disturbances and all those type of things, but they were to cause harm and control. Control Israel. And Jesus walks into this situation and, and he says, oh, he's not even asked. He's just not even asked. And says, so do I need to go see him? Shall I come and heal your servant, this paralyzed one? It's an incredible thing. But I think Jesus preached about being peacemakers, just preached about being peacemakers and loving your enemies. And I think Jesus knew, do you think this? That it's God's kindness. He knew that it was God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's an incredible statement declaration after the Sermon on the Mount. We're not here to argue people into the kingdom. It seems to say, at least in this passage of Scripture, we're to love them. We're to to hear what is happening in their hearts and their lives and to love them and allow the Holy Spirit to change their minds. Romans 2, 4 says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We're not only stopped there, but it's this loving kindness. Then Jesus just pours it on even more. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go, hey, that... that that son of Abraham right there, that, that son of Abraham has faith. He says, no, this centurion has more faith than any of any that I've seen in Israel. He is amazed at, at his faith. So the centurion's faith amazed Jesus. Can, can you imagine amazing Jesus? Can you imagine amazing Jesus? And the centurion does this through this like understanding through the hierarchy within the Roman authority that, hey, I, you don't have to come. You just say the word. I have a hundred people under me. I, I just say the word and it's done. And you just say it. And you will have it. It's amazing. But what I think is so incredible as we roll through these stories of the kingdom just parading over the people, I mean, just parading over them is that Jesus makes it clear we belong before we behave. He doesn't exclude the leper. He doesn't exclude the centurion. He says, how can I be of service to you? Your faith has demonstrated to me Friends, I think if we're followers of Jesus and we've been followers of Jesus for very long, we can suffer from the older brother syndrome or disease is what I would like to call it. It eats us from the inside out and we're like, why would they get what we think we deserve? And Jesus, as in the parable, has, has, is saying to us, oh, you've always had the rich resources of heaven. You've always had me. 
Friends, we need to see this faith demonstrated by the centurion as mind-blowing and that we ourselves have the opportunity to bring people inside to the inner circle of which we want to make qualifications very difficult and Jesus makes simple. He says, oh, no, no, let them in. Let them come. God calls us sons and daughters. When he names us and gives us designations like that as followers of Jesus, we are called sons and daughters. We can, if we, we spend time in prayer and we spend time in meditation, we spend time in Jesus, before Jesus, and, and even in song, we can start to hear him say these things over the top of us. He doesn't say them glibly like we might say something to somebody. He means every word he says, and he calls us sons and daughters. So as we look at the centurion or our enemy who may be blessed with something, we're like, what, how, where? Oh, don't forget, he calls you a son or a daughter. We might stand here and go, wait a second, wait a second. Why is Jesus getting all of these problems? I find this rather interesting. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you, you get out of one situation and you, you're probably maybe in them? You're like, why am I encountering problem after problem? Why do people bring their problems to me? Why are they doing this? Could it very well be, friends, that maybe you're caught in that space and place where people are like, hey, uh, I need some help. Uh, could you give me some advice? Uh, could you help me in some way? Could you pray for me? I mean, they're constantly calling you. Could it very well be that the Holy Spirit's in you is calling them to you? And I get it. There are points in which you might go, oh, I just need a break. But Jesus, he was a magnet for trouble, if you will, in other people. And the reason was because he desired to bring life and life abundant. It's, it's what he lived to do. And friends, we are called to the very same thing, to, to give and bring life to others as we can, as he equips us, as he strengthens us. It is incredible. Third story. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Nothing too unusual about this, especially if we've come out of the other two, yet except for this. Jesus addresses three different people right at the outside in Matthew's gospel. Matthew puts them together on purpose so that those who would be reading of, those, of that day were not so assaulted uh, by the people that are being brought to him. But for them, this would have been a woman? Sorry, ladies. But that's the, that would have been the thought. Why is he healing a woman? simply to remind us, I believe, in one way, not only to bring healing and health and life, but to remind us in another way that the kingdom is far broader than we would ever think. The people that are invited and those who are included are far more than our eyes or our brains can ever comprehend. And I believe that that's part of what Matthew by the Holy Spirit is trying to get across to his readers then especially because they would have been truly assaulted 
by the demonstration of the kingdom and to whom it was going to. Incredible, incredible work. There is a last phrase as he, or there are a last couple of um, verses as, he, as we close out this. It says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Matthew's one of those uh, writers who continually wants to remind us, hey, this isn't something new. This is something proclaimed, prophesied before that is being done now. Uh, new, yes, in some ways, but it's just happening in the now. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. It was what God had, had planned all along for his son to do, to, to bring the kingdom, to bring life. It's from Isaiah 53 Four through five, surely he took, our, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace oh, was laid on him. And by his wounds we are healed. This verse is coming to life. So what does this mean for us? What are our next steps? Maybe we could ask it in another way. How do we get into the kingdom game? How do we play? Coach, I want to play. I want to be part of this. How do we receive from Jesus? I think there's one definitive way we receive from Jesus. And it's through this word lordship, which is kind of an old word, but it's like putting Jesus as president or CEO. And can I just point out to you that in both the the leper, the outcast, and the centurion, the enemy, both played, paid respect and, I believe, honor that was due the Lord. It is incredible. And we would think, whoa, wait a second, where did this come from? It came because they, they knew. The leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I don't know how clear lordship can be than that. Right? If we were to say, hey, what prayer request do you have? Come up at the end, which we might do this, by the way. What, what, what prayer request do you have? What, what, what do you have on your heart that you, you want to hear from the Lord? I am willing. It would come out of this place of kneeling before him that would show him respect and honor, that he would actually be Lord. And he would greatly define what that means as he works in your life. But they, the leper, respected and honored and worshipped Jesus and gave him lordship. The centurion did also. In an incredible way. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. incredible the leper bows low uh, the, the centurion approaches a rabbi and asks for help in a servant of which he could have just easily dismissed and got another one think about that by the way and worship the Lord lordship needs to lead in our lives in order for the work of God to be 
for us to be receptive to it? Are we willing to bow our knee, to do what he asks, to, to be, call him Lord, right? We need to get the king to get the kingdom. We need to have the king to have the kingdom. And some of us want the kingdom without bowing our knee to the king. And the centurion and the leper remind us clearly that that has to be the way. And in faith. Faith. How, how, to, how to give Jesus and his kingdom. I mean, we need faith. We, we need faith in our lives, right? I mean, the centurion had faith and the leper had faith. And we need to go before the Lord and ask and some of us have been asking. So some of you are saying, well, wait a second. I, I, I have been asking. And I've been asking with faith. Yet he's not answering. And to be really honest, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can answer all of those questions for you. But uh, what I do know is that if you do not ask, you'll get exactly what you have come to expect. It's a lack of faith. I mean, when you don't ask, you'll, you'll receive what you don't, you're not going to get. And so we must ask with faith. So lordship and faith is how you are able to receive the kingdom. And how do we give it? Well, Jesus, as he said, he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, right? And in us and through us, we are to, to act and behave like he does and is. Romans 8.11 says this, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We have the ability, we have within us to give away what we have been given to us. We have the ability to give life. I would go so far to say that we have been given the Spirit's anointing. If we're following Jesus and we've been filled with the Spirit's, we have been given the Spirit's anointing to bring heaven to earth in the ways that he did bring it to earth. And let me just point out a few verses that remind us of this truth, of this very truth in our situation. Our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, and 10 says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be the conduits of that. We are to pray with faith as he is the Lord of all things and, and pray that he would bring it to pass. Now, Matthew 10, 8 says this about those who are sent out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who, who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. He says, freely you are to give. If we're asking to be a part of the kingdom, we respond with I'm going to be a conduit of life and I'm going to pray that people are healed, raised, and cleansed and many other things. In Romans 8, 17, it says, Now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That we ourselves have the ability not only to receive the kingdom, receive Jesus, but we also have the ability to give Jesus. We have the ability to pray Jesus. 
Jesus calls us to shape our world by what exists in heaven, not what exists on earth. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's the very base. Jesus calls us to shape our world by what exists in heaven. Are we willing to say, put me in, coach? Because, not because we've watched other players do it, but we've watched you, coach, do it? Are we willing to step out and, and move to the margins of our world and our culture to those who are outcasts, who are receptive, those who are enemies, who may be more receptive than you've ever considered that they would be, those who are culturally, well, may not be even considered. They're considered more property than anything. And to not only receive, but to give. To give the kingdom. Mm. There have been a few times in my life where uh, the Lord has surprised me by using me. Remember the first time when I was in seminary and my sweet mate was sick and he just said, hey, can you pray for me? I said, hey, I'll pray. And within a day, he was, he was well. He came back and said, thanks for praying for me. I, I don't know what was going on. And seminary students are poor. We're poor in, in the state of being in seminary and out of the state of being seminary. So prayer and healing is desperately needed. I remember last fall, just, and I've told this story, uh, just knowing a, a baby who needed some dramatic transformation in her body physically. Praying one night with a couple of friends, and then the next day, the doctors use terminology like, it's amazing. We're not sure. They weren't even sure what was transpiring and how to address it, and healing began to take place. There are many, many other stories like that, and we we can be a part of that as a people. Will you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, not only are you a great coach, a great teacher, a great master, but Father, you're a, you're a coach who plays. You put your own son into the game. You, you went to the outcasts. You went to the enemies. You went to those in your culture, in your time, whom the world did not regard and brought life through faith, through faith that those who were around him believed in. Father, we are grateful for that. Father, I think that you call us to a kingdom that is an all-skate. That all can play no matter where or what our culture, where our, our culture puts people or places people or what our culture says about them. And you invite us to, to not only receive what we may need when we come in faith and address you as Lord, but you also invite us to give away the kingdom not based on earthly matters only but bringing heaven to earth. Father, would you help us?
Would you help us in our unbelief of this reality of which you call us to, to bring the kingdom to bear here, now, presently. Friends, as we uh, close out our time, um, I, I, I want to invite you. I want to invite you. If you have, if you have uh, something you, you want to bring before the Lord, um, you're, you're asking the Lord, and he's responding with, I am willing in this next song, as we sing it, I, I just want to invite you to come forward and, and put it before the Lord. If you would like one of us to come and pray with you, we would be more than willing. But to declare Jesus as Lord is to, to posture yourself in a way that reminds our hearts and our minds and those around us that we declare that you are Lord, that he is Lord. And so I just invite you to the altar um, you don't always do this in recent days, but I am asking you to do that today if you have something that you wish to bring. And I sense that the Lord saying, I am willing this morning. If you need to be anointed, you need to be prayed over, again, we ask that you just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Lord, we're grateful for these moments that we have together. Father, bring your kingdom to bear in these moments here and now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.